As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to The Ruck. This is the Times and the Sunday Times podcast where we attempt to get some perspective on whether Jack Willis can really do the splits, whether anyone can actually beat Exeter, whether Stuart Barnes can find a place in his heart for the all-conquering Devonians, and of course whether Steve Jones's internet connection is ever going to work. Jones isn't with us today, but that's not the Wi-Fi reason. I'm Owen Slot, and I am joined by uh, the usual stellar cast, the aforementioned chief iconoclast Barnsley. You see what I did there, Barnsley? That was kind of like I a... Did. I liked it, Owen. I liked it early in the morning. Good. I also have with me the man who is head and shoulders best at getting his microphone to work. That's Alex Lowe. <laughs> morning. All well with you? Uh, very good, thank you. Yep. And I am pleased to say that we have a rather happy-looking Lawrence Delalio with us too. Lol, back in February, when the board of WAS decided it was time to move on Die Young, your loyal and admired DOR who had steered the club through some very troubled times, you surely can't have imagined a turnaround as complete as this. No, I think you'd have, um, if you'd have said to me that WAS would finish second, three points behind Exeter in the 70s, um, and to make a, a home semi-final and, and get themselves to their, you know, another premiership final I'd have probably thought that uh, dementia early dementia had set in really but uh, you know it's it's been quite spectacular really and and the turnaround is I mean the, the decision to point Lee Blackett was obviously vindicated not just financial and uh, you know probably the what the one decision that, that pleases me as as much is, is the appointment of Pete Atkinson who's the head of performance at Wasps who's brought in and, and completely um, revolutionised what they're doing from a fitness and conditioning perspective because you can you can analyse games of rugby all you like but you know the simple facts of the matter is that whether Wasps had the ball or didn't have the ball they, they're able to recycle themselves back into the game far quicker than their opponents so um, they have more men on their feet both in attack and defence and that is the reason why they're winning and they're doing so well and they're scoring lots of points because the fitness and conditioning but there's no doubt that they are fit um, and they are conditioned and uh, and it was particularly pleasing. Yeah, they, they played well. They looked hungry, enthusiastic, experienced, intelligent. And uh, whether that's good enough to uh, to take on Exeter uh, in a couple of weeks' time, well, we shall see. But uh, they're certainly the team you wouldn't want to play against. Okay. Well, we, we, we sort of um, we, we, we jumped right into the sort of subject of the weekend there. But just want to rein you back a little bit because following the, the lead of my teammate Alex Lowe from a few weeks ago, I'd like to introduce a, a mystery guest 
uh, element to today's podcast. Uh, this mystery guest is not going to appear, so um, that's why this is a, a better than question of sport. We're not wasting our time with that. Um, if you guess, the, if you know the answer after the first question, please don't say it because that would ruin all the fun. Um, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, first question for our mystery guest is: Well, the first clue is in his Test debut, he kicked a fifty-three meter penalty. Tuck that away. You, if you want to put in some um, some incorrect answers, then feel free. You could say, you know, Craig Dowd or or Rob Howley or um, something like that. Okay, go on quiet. Barnsley, you you um were at the Exeter semi final, correct? I was. And uh, what 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 are your feelings about the club? I mean, I was obviously teasing you in a loving and affectionate way earlier. You, you haven't been been a fan of the way they play the game. I wonder if if that still stands. Um, I think the way they play between between the two twenty twos is is pretty outstanding, and we all know what happens when they get into the infamous red zone. My problem is, I think it's too easy to score from close range, especially when you're as good as Exeter, and there's a case to be made for really good tries from 30, 40 metres are being given the same value as basically one from five metres out when, you know, half your pack are effectively offside, they're in front of the ball and you can't stop them. Now, Exeter fans seem to think that's a criticism of Exeter. It's not. It's a criticism of the laws. Exeter do it better than anyone. The other thing about Exeter, Owen, I read your piece today talking about Wasp being the biggest jacklers against Exeter, the team who win their own ruck ball. Now, I've often said Exeter, above all teams, have this capacity to go off their feet, put their hands on the floor, their toes on the floor, claim their support in the way, and turn it into a, a perpetual rugby league. And that element is still there, but clever man that he is, Rob Baxter has clearly changed that. He's seen possibility of a different type of refereeing, the sort we saw from Paul Williams in the Bledisloe Cup game, where you have to stay on your feet to break down. And because of that, Exeter have accelerated their game. Their back play is outstanding. In Hogg, they have someone who is played as well as any fullback in the world right now. Uh, in Hidalgo Klein, they've got someone who is erratic in his passing, but changes the pace of the game. And that's the thing with Exeter. They have change the ability of how to play the game. They, they can play it now in overdrive. And the other thing they can do is just maintain an amazing consistency of pressure with the ball in hand, without it, 80 minutes. I'm a huge fan uh, of Exeter's intellect. Um, I don't always like how they play the game, but that has nothing to do with Exeter. It's to do with the laws of the game, and referees allowing them to get away with it. And to finish, I will reiterate, I think they are a far more uh, attractive team to see, an interesting team to see this season than they have been in the last couple. Alex, you you, you took in both semi-finals. Do, do you see uh, Exeter as a team that can be beaten in that final? I think if, if Wasps can be as competitive at the breakdown as, as they were, as Lawrence talked about at the start, that the fitness, the ability to stay on their feet, they can pressure... Exeter in the area that there's Exeter's strength um, but I still think Wasps are, are, are heavy underdogs because Exeter are this kind of uh, machine that, that have found their groove and they they have as as Barnsley said different ways of playing so if, if Wasps target all their all their efforts 
at the breakdown, I think Exeter can can open it a bit. I think if Wasps can can dominate that breakdown, then then they give themselves a, a good chance. The, the, the problem is, as Barnsley has already said, that that isn't the only way that Exeter now try and score tries. So I'd still have Exeter as, as strong favourites for the final. Yeah, there's no doubt that Exeter are, are playing as probably better now than they have played um, in the last five years. It's but when you look at the statistics, they've been in the last five finals, but yet they've only won one. And they've won it in um, with 30 seconds to go until Nathan Hughes and Elliot Daly missed touch. They, they would have lost that one as well. So when you say to me, can they be beaten? The answer is yes, of course they can be beaten. But, you know, because they, they, they've been beaten in quite a few finals already. I've got to interject there, mate. You aren't, you aren't off bending statistics. They've been beaten every time by Saracens who aren't there. Well, no, precisely. But, the, but they, are, they have been beaten, haven't they, really? Oh, yeah. So, so, I mean, if you're talking about a team that had won the last four or five finals, then suddenly you're terrified about playing them. But uh, Wasps clearly go into the game as massive underdogs. There's lots of things that have to go right, not least the back row have to be selective about the, uh, the rucks that they compete in because uh, they give away penalties in between the two 10-metre lines. They're going to find themselves defending an awful lot in their own, on their own goal line. One of the reasons, not the only reason, why Bristol weren't able to overcome Wasps is that they played exactly the same way as as was suspected they would. They, they didn't bring, in my opinion, any big game tactics to the table at all. They, uh, that they, they thought that playing the way that they played in rounds one to 22 was going to be big enough to, to get them across the line in a big game. And, and unfortunately, not advocating any side changes the way they play, but subtly you have to add two or three dip things that are different that make an opponent think differently. And, and Wasps will need to do the same. They'll need to add two or three things from their coaching team, from their senior players, Differently, you know, whenever we played Leicester in big finals, we kicked the ball up in the air an awful lot and, and we, made, we made sure we turned them. And one of the ways to beat Exeter is clearly to have as, as much possession as they have um, and hold on to it. But equally, you've got to make them spend as much time in their own 22 as you possibly can. Lawrence, I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the Prem final, the proper preview of it. But two things from what you were saying there that was interesting. One, I guess, how is Malachi Fekitoa? Do we know yet? how badly injured he is because he's been massive. And, and the second one, your point about doing something different, and you mentioned there maybe Wasps have to hold on to the ball for a bit longer. That, is, that isn't the way that they, they naturally play. I mean, you boil it down, they're a team who will win turnovers and then, and then strike. Is how, how radical a shift would it be for Lee Blackett to say to them, listen, we're going to have to play this differently. We're going to have to hold on to the ball a lot more um, and... And try and, only, and try and drain X to that way. Is, is that is that a huge shift well, or not? Well, Barnsley, I tell you, there's only one or two players you need to speak to, really. I mean, yeah, not yeah. not really speak to the. Not, I mean, it's the brains trust, really, and not the whole team. And when I'm talking about Dan Robson, I'm talking about Jimmy Gotham, Among, I'm talking about Jacob Umanga, because Umanga in particular. Lol. I mean, if you look at Alex King and and, and what he did in, in big finals that we won, um, you know, he pulled the string superbly well. Um, and you're not completely revolutionising or changing the way that you play. But you, you have to add one or two things, whether it's you know a different line-out attack, whether it's um, a different kicking strategy. Bar through everything at, at Exeter in the opening 10, 15 minutes, and Exeter was so patient in their, in their defensive game, and they just waited and waited and waited for the right moments. And uh, I think Wasps have to just approach things slightly differently if they stand any chance of winning. When Lawrence was talking about Bristol, and he was disappointed with them, I, I think there's one word you could say about Bristol that has... Uh, Worried me all season and didn't uh, didn't leave me surprised the result Saturday and that was naive. 
I think, uh, and Pat's teams, even uh, Connacht when they won, played such a joyous form of rugby from deep with wit. They really challenged you. And, and I think when you go to a, a nastier, grittier level of rugby, you can get exposed. And Bristol did. It didn't surprise me. Wasp issue is to make sure they don't fall into Bristol's trap. I don't think trying to keep more ball in their own half is the way to play. You have to play down in Exeter territory. Bath knew that. They had an ideal man in Spencer, but they were a unable to, to score when they got there. Uh, the key against them, and I, I think Callum Sheedy for Bristol disappointed me. Um, he wasn't able to reshape the game. And what Lol is talking about with Alex King is you need to be in the right part. But I, I think two key men for Was have to be Umunga and Gopeth. Gopeth, because he's been there so long and so many times, he's got to keep an eye on young Umunga because Umunga could go down the Shidi route in a final and try playing and chancing his arm from the wrong parts of the field. And if you do that, then you're dead. I mean, Exeter against both Bath and Toulouse have been pummeled for half an hour, but they've not dropped hardly any points. If Exeter get a sniff, a turnover, and they start fast, and they're 10-0 up after half an hour, then Wasp will be on the end of a hammering. There's no doubt about that. So Wasp had to play this game cute in a way that Bristol certainly did not in Coventry. Just um, Sean, on the psychology of, of that final and, and Exeter going into the, the, these this coming fortnight, I just wonder if you if you look at Wasps, they they could be in danger of, of going to the final and thinking that they've had a great season already, which they have done. Exeter, on the other hand, I just wondered did it, did anyone read the extracts of the new Exeter book by um, Rob Kitson that were in the Observer yesterday? Really strong, um, stronger than I've seen from Exeter talking about their frustration with their um, with their years with Saracens and. And whatever happened with the salary cap, uh, and 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 how you know extra um, spoken a bit about it, but they were 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 in the extracts from this book. They were very frank about uh, how much that riled them. And do you, do you recall the um the the scrap on the on the touchline in the um in the uh, Christmas Eve game uh, almost a year ago, December the twenty ninth. So so th- there's some stuff about this in the book, but at the time, no one really explained exactly what happened. So so what happened is um, Billy Vernapola, at, at, at some point, uh, at some confrontation, had said to Nick White, he said, unlucky you haven't got a premiership, a premiership winner's medal. And that, uh, and that kicked off the whole thing. So uh, th- this is clearly an aspect that, that sits, uh, sits on the, the, the minds of those Exeter players and will drive them on and on. A bit like Saracens when they were going through a period of losing finals, they, they will have something really strong driving them forwards. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And look, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Exeter and what they've achieved and what they continue to achieve. And I think I said right at the beginning of the season that I felt that they were capable of doing well in not just one competition, but two. And I've liked their, their language all, all season. They've, openly talked about it. Rob Baxter said we highlighted this tournament at the beginning of the season. They've, they've talked very confidently about it. So, you know, for them to actually reach the final, you know, having having been unbeaten in the pool stages as well and gone to France, I mean, you know, they're a different level to, to anything else in the in the Premiership other than Saracens at their best at, at the moment. So, uh, you know, very, very excited. Whilst, you know, let's not forget that the only final they've been to since since uh, 2008 was was 2017 against Exeter, and until uh, 30 seconds from the end of the game, that they they would have been champions themselves. Now, not everyone was involved in that fixture, but one or two were, 
uh, and I'm sure they've got their own motivations for trying to go back to Twickenham and, and, and right a few wrongs as well. So, uh, you know, massive game. Wasp, clearly big underdogs, despite what they've done this season. Interestingly, to your point, Owen, Lee Blackett was very quick uh, and Joe Launchbury to, um, to not fall into the trap that maybe England fell into in the World Cup by playing and hitting such a higher level in the semi-final that they'd almost, you know, they'd almost played their final. So I was watching uh, Joe Launchbury after the game. He, he had the players around him. And I think the very words were, enjoy today, we've played very well, but this isn't our final. And they've got to find the, the right emotional levels to try and take on the, uh, the huge Exeter Chiefs. Whereas Exeter come off the back of a European final and it'd be fascinating to see win or lose, what level, you know, emotionally they're at as well. Clearly, I can, I can see all three of you on the edge of your seats waiting for the next mystery guest clue. So I, I, I won't keep you waiting any longer. The, the, my, I think my clues were as good as Alex's a few weeks ago. So apologies to all, all listeners. So this mystery guest, he was yellow carded for the most controversial tackle in the, 19, in the 2019 World Cup. Oh, ho, ho. lots of silence. Uh, Lawrence got his hand up, but you're on mute, so it's not going to work. You never win. Never win this. Oh, he's back. Go on. Yeah. Well, are we yeah. allowed to get? Are we allowed to guess or not? We're not going to. We're not, we're not going to guess, are we? Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh, he, he's Australian, and he 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 he, he kicks uh, he kicks their goals, and uh, and he played in the opening game against Fiji, didn't he? And um, probably uh, should have could have easily been red carded. Yeah. Really. He, hit, he hit the post from about fifty five yards in the bloody slow cup. Which brings us nicely onto to my next subject. It's almost like a segue that. So, um, <laughs> if you um, if you haven't got got, got the answer, that is um, Reese Hodge, who, as Barnsley said, he hit the um, hit the upright from fifty eight meters um, in the Bledisloe Cup game, which finished in a draw uh, due to his miss. That was an exciting sort of a restart to international rugby. Fascinating on so many levels. A test match in New Zealand with the New Zealand referee, and we had controversy at the end. But I wouldn't take away the fact that I thought Paul Williams was absolutely magnificent. He lets the game flow. He penalises people who went off their feet. He plays short advantages for knock-ons. Outstanding. Yet it was hard on Australia because he refereed uh, so brilliantly uh, the New Zealand Super Rugby Tournament. The Aussies came over and they, as South Africans or Europeans, were going off their feet. It really hurt Australia. And I think the other thing, and New Zealand had coached the Wallabies, Dave Rennie, that is a tremendous start. Uh, and I think a lot of people in New Zealand will look at that game. There were question marks about um, Foster and they will say, have we got the right man? Because Rennie was forensic in his detail, the inside balls. I thought it was a, it was a winning draw for Australia all the way, an outstanding performance. I'd second all of that. I mean, Dave Rennie, you know, if that's the start, then Australia, having been in the international doldrums and, and, and a real worry, both financially and physically, about mm. whether they were going to be ever be back to where they belong. But clearly, they've made the right appointment because if that's one game, and let's remember mm. that Australia hadn't won in New Zealand for 20 years. I think, yeah. uh, you know, 2000 was the last time they beat the All Blacks in New Zealand and, uh, and they deserve to win on the weekend. I thought it was a, a magnificent performance. The one thing I was somewhat disappointed about is that having, uh, having been starved of having fans in games of rugby and then to have probably, you know, the, the best game of rugby in the world or one of the best games in the world and still to see so many empty seats in the stadium. Now, I don't know whether that was a, a deliberate ploy because they had to socially distance or, or whether they, uh, 
you know, they that they weren't allowed to sell every single seat, but um, it, it would have been uh, even better, you know, being played to a packed house for sure. It's worth mentioning the Dave Rennie praise is, is due. He's got two people, two interesting members of staff who he's recruited. One who I'm sure would have been instrumental in in a lot of those small details that, that Barnsley talked about, and Scott Wisemantle uh, as their attack coach, who was England's attack coach for a couple of years up to the World Cup. And Jeff Parling's on board with the Wallabies, running their their line out and their forward play. And it's a great start for for Jeff, who's been coaching with Melbourne Rebels. And I think maybe because it's the other side of the world and it's perhaps slightly gone under the radar, his his sort of early stages in in, in coaching. But great start for him. And uh, and I, I thought there were there were some hallmarks of Scott Wisemantle on that Wallabies performance that I saw of it. The some of the ideas and the you know he's he's when he was with England he was full of of, of attacking invention and, and he's a smart coach and I thought it was an excellent appointment from from David Rennie I don't think England would have wanted to lose in fact they definitely didn't want to lose him I think Sotty you're slightly harsh saying that they drew because Reese Hodge hit the post when Rico Ioani managed to drop the ball over over the line which was um which gave the Wallabies a lifeline at that point but they were no they were excellent and that that rivalry hasn't been much of a rivalry of late because the All Blacks just beat them every time and they play so often. I feared it would just be another procession. But actually now, I think they're playing three times this year and it looks like a really, it's going to be a, you know, a really good series because of it. I love the way some of this get, stuff gets reported. So uh, in Australia, in the Australian newspaper, the line was, that was the test that saved Australian rugby. So it was quite a big game from that respect. And um, on, um, on, one of the, uh, on one of the Kiwi um, websites, um, which which just reminds us of how they see see the, the um, glo- global news. It's, it said, "World reacts to Bledisloe opener, moral victory to Wallabies over All Blacks." So um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think the, the point that you were making, Bart, is that um, they're going to be picking over the Ian Foster appointment for the next uh, for the next three years is um, is delicious. Lol. Before we move on, one point that came out of that game, which we must mention, is, uh, well, one is the, is the 100th, 100th test caps for, for, for Michael Hooper, who I think has uh, been an outstanding player. But going, in, uh, going into this game, you know, there was a lot of bad talk between the two respective unions, you know, about the rugby championship and, you know, the way that it's been uh, uh, organised, et cetera, et cetera. And the New Zealand Rugby Union accusing the ARU of... of uh, or bringing their dirty, you know, laundry in public and vice versa. But actually, there was a nice touch after the game. If I'm sure every all of you would have seen it with Sam Kane and the uh, and the All Black team going into the Australian dressing room and presenting Michael Hooper with a fine bottle of uh, of New Zealand wine and just saying, you know, good on you, mate. Congratulations on your on your on your hundredth cap. And and it was probably a fitting result for that particular moment, you know. So uh, it's just nice to see that the values of respect are certainly not lost with the uh, with the players, at least. Do you think when they were all congregating in the All Blacks change room afterwards, they were all saying to each other, why, why didn't you guys go for a drop goal? And the All Blacks go, I don't know, why didn't you guys go for one? It's bizarre. I don't understand how we have this conversation a lot with, with New Zealand and Australia. They just don't, they don't seem to read the situation. There were so many times you know, under the posts, whether the penalty should have been awarded or not, just, just put someone in the pocket and have a, have a well, shot. I don't understand it. Well, they went about 10 years without a drop goal and then Dan Carter worked out 2015 World Cup, so they're important. They go in World Cup cycles, and the nearer they get to a World Cup, the more the win becomes the be-all and end-all as opposed to the style of the game. And they start thinking drop goals, and then they forget. So I think from a New Zealand point of view, they'll be they'll be very annoyed at, at drawing the game. 
Uh, but it's to them, it's very much the start of a cycle. Owen, you, your point, the hyper, hyperbolic stuff in the press in Australia about saving Australian rugby, for once, I think it's absolutely true. I mean, I spent the entire World Cup working with Fox in, in Australia, and you, you talk to Australian broadcasters and, and journalists about viewing figures, about interest. You talk to Australian fans. The Gladstone Cup, apart from the World Cup, is so far above everything that it, it dominates the landscape of rugby union. And when Australia keep getting hammered by New Zealand, the fall-off that goes to rugby league is huge. It's not just national fans. It's uh, Queensland fans, New South Wales fans. They, they all disappear. So... When Australia get a performance against them and when they've got a new coach, it is a massive game and it's great for the world game because we are not such a big uh, sport, despite what world rugby might say, that we can afford to have nations like Australia dropping off. To enjoy more of our award-winning sports journalism, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Time today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck online. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Talk now about the um, European Heineken Cup final on uh, Saturday. Um, Exeter and Racing. We've uh, we've discussed the awesome Exeter a, f- a fair bit. The Racing have had this strange build-up, which Barnsley you wrote about in today's paper. As we know, they had they had a, a bad COVID outbreak, had to cancel their game uh, from two weekends ago. They did play at the weekend just gone, but they feel they're very much a sort of a scratch side. We don't really know whether that was because they wanted to rest players or because certain players might might still have um, coronavirus. So can you see a team with that kind of preparation really being in a, a position to uh, to topple Exeter, who are in the form of their lives? No, Exeter have got the ideal preparation. Racing have got the nightmare preparation. Now, when I played the game a million years ago, you could actually say, come on, let's find a big 80 minutes from nowhere. But the preparation and the planning has changed so much as I wrote, Racing were locked out of their training camp for five days, complete isolation. 
and they've been training in pods of four or five, which is what the English clubs were doing months and months ago. And they're, they're taken away from their family and they're staying as if they're on tour in a Parisian hotel and the La Defense part of town. These are disruptions that are huge against a team that have a constant flow. Final is in Bristol. And Lawrence, I'm sure Lawrence would agree, when they played Toulouse in that final, had it been maybe in the southwest of France, it might have twisted the other way. French at home and the French away still are very different. And Exeter have got to go an hour and a half up the M5. They've got no disruption at all to their preparation. Racing, complete disruption. I think Exeter's... Exeter, Baxter won't say that to his team, but the only thing in their way of a double, far harder game than Racing will prove, despite genius of, of Finn Russell and Jeremy Vachtower. OK, I'm looking for someone to disagree with Barnsley there. Sorry, I, I do agree... To a certain degree with Barnsley in terms of the odds are massively stacked in Exeter's favour, you know, and not least because they're a better side uh, all around the park. Obviously, Racing have a number of key individuals that can unlock defences at any moment. So if they're within a score and they need to do something special like they did uh, against Saracens, they, you know, the, the Finn Russell Vakitawa sort of uh, combo worked, worked perfectly. But for Exeter to only have to travel 70 miles up the motorway and play a game, and whilst I can be persuaded that, that, that the French have, that the French travel slightly better than they, than they have done previously, uh, I can't be convinced that, that they've quite overcome this kind of mental mishap that they have when they go away from home. You know, when, when we played the great Toulouse in the, in the European Cup final, you know, you looked at their you looked at their European record, and they'd won, you know, four European Cups, and they were the Galacticos. But then you looked at their record of playing in England, and they'd won only four matches of twenty-two, no matter what team they'd sent. And I, I, I think you know, Racing are a team that are improving year on year. I think this is probably clearly their best chance of winning the cup, given um, where they were previously. But I still think they give an opponent too many opportunities in games. And then Saracens didn't, you know, didn't quite have the firepower to take it. Ultimately, they lost. The Saracens lost that game because their bench was was, was not quite as strong as uh, as Racing's, who brought on Machino in 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 the moment that turned the game. Actually, and in previous years, Saracens have had that bench where they can really affect the outcome of a game. And I, I think Exeter have got a, a strong bench, and I, and I see them, you know, having too much to, uh, you know, to take, uh, you know, to to not be to, to not win the game. Are we as a panel united then in, in predicting a, a an extra victory on on Saturday? Uh, I'd agree with the others. I think although Racing have the capability, have, you know, have, have the the threat in behind that, the ability to to let, let off some fireworks with with Finn Russell and Bakatawa and, and and those guys. They like a slow game. They like it to be a grind. And I don't think they they do that better than Exeter do that. And I just think that Exeter will will be able to set the tempo the way they want to play it. And uh, yeah, I, I would agree with, with Lawrence and Stuart. I think, I think Exeter will, should go up to, to Bristol and land the first, the first of, the, of the, the potential double. Now we're going to finish today's splendid podcast with a, uh, a ruck premiership team of the season. Uh, everyone's been um, scribbling down their, their first 15s. I actually went early in the Times last Monday. Um, so... Presumably everyone listening to this will already know what my team is. And what That's our be. team. We just follow you, Slotty. I tell you what, I'll go through my, my players and then and then when you think I'm totally bonkers and um, uh, you should you should interrupt. So so I had Charles Piertau at 15 and I think most people agree with that. No. Go on. 
pure hog, clean, precise, big match player, big match play, showed it at the weekend. Stuart Hogg for me. Okay, we've, we've already run into one, one of the clear issues, which is we didn't stipulate how we're going to pick this and whether whether you can select players who've just been good in the last two months or whether you had to play for the whole well, the way we pick it is, months it, of the season. The way we pick it is we have we have a vote each, uh, and the player that gets more votes gets uh, that's generally yeah. how democratic uh, elections work. I mean, uh, uh, not not quite the same these days. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Charles Piertau is without doubt the. Uh, I mean, Hogg has, has has had some wonderful moments, but if you're going to leave out a player that's beaten more defenders than any other player in the league, and he's been injured for half the games, then you you you've got to be going pretty well. Okay, I'll just throw in, um, so, so Jonesy did, um, has sent me his, his team of the season and he's got uh, sales Luke James, which I think is a pretty decent shout. But um, if, we, if we're, going on, we're going on votes, we've got Pierre Tower at 15. Um, we'll do the two, the two wingers together. So uh, two wingers were um, Morahan of Bristol and, uh, and O'Flaherty of Exeter. I had Morahan too and I struggled with the other one because I, I went with Ollie Thorley in the end, but at one point I had Louis Rees Samit, but that his his impact felt so long ago in the first half of, of a season that we can barely remember. And the other one was that uh, Kilbriggy at Wasps. And your your point, Slotty, about how you pick the team, it's like there there are players who've done brilliantly since restart. Um, and there were players who did incredibly well early on in the season, Rory Hutchison or George Furbank, or who whose exploits back then are, are, are kind of forgotten because of what's happened in the last couple of months. So anyway... I ended up going for Ollie Thorley and Morahan, but could be persuaded by, by Kilbriggy, I think. I thought Morahan was a good left field choice. Uh, now I find you lot are picking him. I want to change it. <laughs> I will have to stay with Luke Morahan. He's an ink there. On the left wing, I'm going to go for someone who's a bit more of a, a worker, not flash, but I'm going for Josh Bassett. His work rate is fantastic. Uh, his defence is brilliant. We never talk about defence. In the air, he's superb. And when Wasp need a score, Bassett always seems to pop up. So Josh Bassett for me. That's a strong choice, I think. Yeah, yeah he's I, a I strong like choice. I mean, I'm, I, I, I bow to the uh, to, to, to Barnsley's better judgment on backs. But I, I, with wings, you tend to pick the wings that are that are in the top half of the table because they they tend to be the guys getting the chances to finish things yeah. off. And, uh, you know, you could argue it the other way. Um, the teams that are in the top half of the table have got the best wings uh, because their job is to score tries. But uh, Zach Kibberigi on the uh, on the right wing, n- nothing to do with my uh, my slight bent towards the men in black and gold. Uh, he's been outstanding all season, and again, it's probably um, you know made more meters than any other player in the league this year, and and done it coming from relative obscurity, really. And then the other one is Ollie Thorley, who, as much as Gloucester have, have, have not quite you know, been able to capture their form this season. He has been outstanding, uh, both pre-lockdown and post. And he's my uh, on my left wing. I was with you on Ole Thorley until I saw him drop a scoring pass against Harlequins a few weeks ago. It's absolutely an um, astonishing error. But anyway, Jonesy's gone in with Josh Bassett as well. And there's a there's a, 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 a strong feeling for Luke Moran. So let's we'll put those on the wings. I think 13's an interesting point because, it, again, mm. it goes back to uh, to whole season versus last two months. Uh, uh, surely no one would disagree with the fact that Semi Radranger is the best 13 in the Premiership and probably the world at the moment. But um, I'd put Fekitoa as my 13 because he's, he's played a, a bit longer. But uh, I don't know. How do we feel about that? Well, you can't put Randranger in. He, his impact for Britain. I mean, 
the best team has to be one the players have made the biggest impact over the sustained period. And I would argue probably more than anything over the post-lockdown because that's when it's got serious for this season. Yeah. And Rand Rand has had his moments, but that's all. I thought it was a, a, a straight choice between Slade, who every time he plays at Exeter is elegant in attack and very decent in defence, and Fekitoa. But I think was late run, uh, the importance of that man uh, in defence and attack. I'm a Fekitoa man, 13. I, I had all three listed and just decided that if I was picking a 15, that I couldn't pick a team that didn't have Semi Randrandra in it. I looked at Fekitoa's sort of numbers. His his impact for Wasp since lockdown has been massive defensively, and it became for me a choice between those two, Fekitoa in, in a losing team before lockdown, really, and a, and a winning team afterwards. And it just came down to to the fact that I've seen Randrandra a lot because uh, I've happened to have been in a lot of Bristol games, and I've gone with him. Might be slightly as a luxury pick based on on your logic, Barnsley, which I which I completely accept. But if I'm picking a a 15 I want him in my team so yeah I, I went with him going for 12s a lot of people have gone with Sam James of Sale I like uh, Piers O'Connor from Bristol I think has done a great job wherever he's played I really like him at 12 as well as I'm leaving out the extravagant for Gian at 13 I'm going to go for the former dealing trail finder at 12 I, I went with Sam James but I I wrestled over the the, the debate about about the last two months versus the the season because Jimmy, Jimmy Gopeth has been enormous oh, yeah. for for Wasps and for for Jacob Umanga as well having him alongside him I think has has been massive I, I plump with Sam James but I think Jimmy Gopeth you know, certainly I wouldn't be surprised if other people vote for him or and I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have any argument if he ended up getting picked No I, I agree with that because um, but um, unfortunately yeah, whenever I put too many I look at my team and I suddenly well, <laughs> the, the first the first thing I think about is actually how many of the top four teams in the country are actually represented in my team because if there's not enough of them then I'm, then we've not done my job properly really and the second thing is how many wasp players are in there as well because I can't be biased but in the same way as Will Greenwood was the sort of brains trust of that England backline and uh, and the eyes and ears if you like um, I, I see Gopeth operating in a in a sort of second five eight kind of uh, very intelligent way and keeping a, uh, a guiding hand over over Jacob Umanga so uh, you know he would certainly get a vote from me Gopeth and Sam James okay let's go with, let's go with Jimmy Gopeth because Lawrence is on the panel and um, and so we're all very pro wasps at the moment <laughs> Our tens, I think uh, lots of people. Um, I had uh, Joe Simmons down as my ten of the season. Uh, any arguments on that one? I mean, it's interesting, and I'd love to hear Barnsley's view on this because a lot of people I talk. I mean, I think Joe Simmons is a terrific player in a different way to perhaps the way that Jacob Umanga is a is been lighting things up. But people so often say to me about Joe Simmons, yeah, but he does. He just sort of he's just a link man. He doesn't really do the things that change the game. But I, I disagree with that. I, I've seen him play so many times now. And one, he's the captain of the team, which I find extraordinary for someone so so young. Secondly, he he goal kicks and he goal kicks at a, at a, at a high, very very high percentage, if not somewhere near the top. And and I've seen him play in big games, and he has actually done things that that, that affect the outcome of the game. I mean, the break he made, you know, for the, a couple of breaks he made during the Toulouse game uh, and scored a try. He was instrumental in in setting up a couple of you know assists for tries in uh, in the Bath game. So. I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be regarded, along with Umanga, as the, as the two outstanding tens. And people say Marcus Smith will say, well, maybe if he had an extra pack and a wasp pack, and, you know, I'd love to see what Marcus Smith was capable of 
in that situation, but he doesn't. He's been playing behind a, an often a beaten pack, and and you're not going to be in the team in that in that regard. If you look at Marcus Smith in the Harlequins Wasp game, he he played uh, Jacob Umanga off the park. I think he's tactically far more astute. He's a better goal kicker. If you wanted Umanga in the England setup right now, you'd be thinking about bringing him as an impact player off the bench. You wouldn't want to shape in the team. So I would be Smith over um, Umanga, but I hate the fact that. Jonesy's been going on and on about Simmons, and I've been saying he's a good fly half in an incredible structure. And the last month, to lose game, I thought that kid really did play well. And sitting in the stand at Sandy Park on the weekend, it had been 12 minutes or so of complete bath pressure, and it was him from the shadow of his own post who had the guts to go for the break. As Lawrence said, his goal kicking is fantastic. He guides the team. I spoke to Gareth Steenson afterwards and said he guides the team just as I used to. Now, Steenson guided that team brilliantly. and I think he is. And when he goes for a break, he makes it. And Lawrence said he makes he doesn't go for that many breaks. But if you look at how many result in tries, it's a significant figure. So... You know, I'd rather pull my nails out than agree with Stephen Jones, but I'm going to have to go Joe Simmons. <laughs> well, no one's going to agree with Jones on um, on scrum half. So I think scr- a scrum half debate is a Spencer or Robson uh, shootout. No. What about um, our South African from Northampton? Well, if he, if he played the whole season, I would say <laughs> definitely yes. I suppose he had the most impact in that the minute he left, the whole club fell apart. Yeah, and he scored uh, he scored seven tries up to that point in the season, and he was their top try scorer, but. Uh... All right. Well, let's see. Unfortunately, unfortunately, he's not he, he's not going to get any votes for the uh, for, for the for the few games he's played for Montpellier. We, to hell with him. But who did Jonesy put down then? Okay, the guess. Richard Wigglesworth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has he got Simon Shaw in the second row? He has. Yeah, he has. <laughs> and he's got and he's got Catty at twelve. <laughs> I got Ben Spencer was first choice, wasn't he? For, for most of the season. Well, I mean, if you, look, I guess, if you look at if you look at impacts on 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 a team, I don't know whether that's. I mean, look, Ben Spencer is a, is a, is a undoubtedly a, 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 an absolute gem of a player, and he's going to get better and better. But I think that the need for a high quality number nine has been has been so obvious at, at, at Bath for a number of seasons. So I don't know whether the, you'd give Ben Spencer the vote just because he's. Is it him that's made the impact, or is it the fact that Bath was so bad before they had a high quality nine that, <laughs> that, it, that he stood out? He stood out head and shoulders. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not being cynical. I'm telling the truth here. They, hmm. they, they, and they desperately need another one and another ten as well if they want to compete at the top of the table. But that's the reality. So I think we have to temper the the Spencer impact in in the sense that they he's coming to a team that just so desperately needed organising and so desperately needed his skills. Um, it was something that he, he hasn't played any better than he's been playing for Saracens forever, but it just looks so so much better because Bath desperately needed it. Well, so you've, you've heard that strong argument from, from Lolve. I'll, I'll give you the final decision on Robson or Spencer. I, I think Spencer, um, get back to the England thing, has become more of a leader and more of a decision maker. And he has shaped Bath. And I agree with everything Lawrence says about him. Other than the fact I would go for him over Robson, though Robson got the better of him at Bath recently, but I'd go for Spencer because I think he's made more of an impact upon any club this season than any other, certainly halfback. 
and it's, it's really tight. And it's a hard call because they could, they both were nine, but they're very different players. Mm. But I'd go Ben Spencer because he turned Bath into sort of outside contenders just by his very ability to play the game and read the game. OK, Spencer has it. My loose head was uh, Ben Urbano, which I was quite happy with until I saw the semi-final where he seemed to be outdone at the scrum quite a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Do you, do you go on one performance or do you go on, on, on the on the balance of 22? I think uh, for me, up front, you know, he, he come back from a, a very serious knee injury the season before and he's been dominant in enough games. You know, the fact that this was his first big game, uh, as in first big domestic semi-final, I think we can forgive him for for coming off second best against a, a quality team. I think he's done it. Well, for me, he's done enough all season. He's been, uh, he's been outstanding and uh, they probably spend a lot of time on the, on the basics of the type five at Bath, I'd say. And I think, <laughs> I think that, that entire, that entire type five are going to be uh, names that we'll talk about for a while. I think. We'll go to the other yeah. side. Of, okay. Well, so we'll go with Barno because I think people agreed on that. On, on the other side of the Bath scrum, I, I think that, um, Will Stewart's been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, if he uh, he has, uh, the, I mean, I would say that run the risk of ignoring Harry Williams for Exeter, who uh, has been outstanding in, in, a, in a team that's been outstanding, and uh, you know he's about to pack down at tighthead in a European final and a, and a domestic final, and uh, you, you can be sort of very good, but uh, I think Harry Williams has been out, uh, has been outstanding too. It's just that that's the sort of level we expect from him anyway, because he plays for the champion club. He's Will Stewart has edged ahead of Harry Williams in the England pecking order this season, which sort of earned him the vote in, in my team. I mean, it was, it was a it was a tight call. I agree, but I think I think the fact he's broken into the England setup and the fact that Bath have been a, such an effective tight five, such an effective scrummaging unit, put Abano and Will Stewart into my team. Julian Brooks has come back with such a renaissance and such an explosion of form in the scrum and all around the park. Remember years ago, he was the future and it all fell away. But he's the future again. Yeah, yeah, I can't disagree he with that. Pick. Barnsley, yeah, we'll, we'll let you pick the hooker. Uh, uh, because, look, I mean, would it be fair? I mean, Luke Kandicki, you know, to Ben, to uh, Slotty's point about Ben Urbano, Luke Kandicki has been the head and shoulders, the outstanding performer all season. But yeah. in the last couple of European games and and in uh, in, in maybe, you know, other times, he, that, that there's... Uh, there's an opportunity to get at him at the set piece, but equally, isn't the, what he does around the park just so much better than everyone else that he has to be our, our man? Is it better than Harry Thacker? Yeah, Harry yeah. Thacker, I think, is doubtful. I still think Harry Thacker is physically a little bit lightweight, and I think Walsh showed that up. I, I think Thacker's bloody good on the seventh circuit. He's a good 15s player, but I, I, I think Dickey, Cowan Dickey, and George are miles clear of Thacker. And now I've got a load of sticking Exeter because, well, headline writer called him the weak link of Exeter. Actually, what I was saying in the European quarterfinal and the European semi-final, the old habits in the line-out, the yips, did come back a little bit. But this is a Premiership 15, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when they let crowds back into Sandy Park, you better hope Mr. Cowardick is <laughs> not around with a fishing rod, Barnsley. And also, Barnsley, when we are allowed back into a Christmas party, you better watch out for the sub-editors who you're blaming for your headlines. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't blame. It catches the tension. Owen, is this, a, this is a premiership 15, isn't it? It is indeed. 
Well, in that case, Cowan Dickey has been absolutely outstanding throughout the Premiership, and he walks into my team. OK, well, Cowan Dickey is. Um, <laughs> so, Locks, I found it hard not to um, uh, put Mario Atoja in, but we go back to the... He's only played a few games, but whenever he plays, I think he just... He, he so He's so dominant. And I had Johnny Hill as my other one. Oh, it's a, it's the same conversation about we're not necessarily picking the best players. Like Luke Luke Cowan Dickey is, you know, was and, and Jamie George are the best hookers. But of the games I've seen, for me, I just love watching everything that Harry Thack has done. That's why I got in my team. I think Marutoji isn't in my second row. That doesn't mean he's not the best player. But the impact on the season, Saracens had no impact on the season really because they were. They weren't competing. He played incredibly well, obviously. But for me, Johnny Hill, who I expect is, is probably a common selection from Exeter. And and I picked Chris Vui from Bristol because he's just just an incredible competitor. He's everywhere, hands on the ball all the time, involved in everything, really influential, changes changes things for, for Bristol. So I, I picked those two as my premiership second rows. You've got a lot of love for Bristol, haven't you, Alex? Well, I've seen them a lot, yeah. You have a lot of love for Bristol. Is it, no, do, do, do you disagree? Do you disagree? Vui's been fantastic No, Vui's no, been... He's only missed three premiership games. But, uh, uh, and again, you know, it depends where you, where your love affair in the second row is. I mean, you know, <laughs> if, we, if we go back to Itoji and we and we talk about the performance, I mean, he's, he's one of the few players that's actually, well, one, still fit post-World Cup, and two, still performing at the uh, at the highest level. Um, Hi, Alice. Yeah. Hi, Alice. <laughs> Who's Alice got in the second row? Ask Alice for her pick for the second row. <laughs> She's a special <laughs> guest appearance. Exactly. <laughs> Alice, they want to leave Maro Atoje out. Can you believe it? No, yeah. I can't believe it. What no, they're doing? insane. Yeah, she, 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 oh, it's she, nice to see you, Barnsley. Right, no, and you. <laughs> you need to record. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah the, dog, the dog's under the table. Okay. okay. Come tea for me, please, Alice, as well. Uh, Alfie, I'm going with I'm going with yeah. Toji. Is that good? Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah you said, who, what, How could you not pick Mario Toji? No, his performance in the World Cup semi-final against uh, the All Blacks was possibly one of the best performances that I've seen from any England player ever. And uh, his performance in um, in Dublin uh, in the European quarterfinal was probably one of the best performances I've seen ever. But then you're saying to me, this is a Gallagher Premiership second row. But uh, I just think, you know, just the fact that he's still playing, the fact that he's still playing at the highest level and every time he plays for Saracens, there would, it would have been so easy when their fate was given to them just to have um, dropped drop your performances mentally and physically down a, a couple of levels or two. But, but I haven't seen that with him. And I think that is why he deserves to be in the team. Pretty sure if you asked his peers who would be in their premiership team, there's often a, a reluctance to pick England players because they're, you know, they're, they're seen as getting all the glory anyway. But, uh, but actually... Uh, I think his peers would 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 probably pick him in that team. So, uh, and and the other the other position, you know, Johnny Hill. Yes, I mean, if, if I wasn't from Wasps, a lot of people would say that Will Rowlands is probably one of the best, most improved second rows in in the Premiership, and will be playing for Wales quite regularly. I think, given uh, what I've seen with his performances, uh, and there is life yeah. after the likes of Alan Wynne Jones. He was on um, my shortlist too, Lawrence. Yeah, but uh, right. I, I, I went with Johnny Hill because. Uh, uh, I just, I, you know, there is a reason why Exeter are at the top of the table in, in both Europe and, and domestically. And, you know, that reason isn't all about the Simmons family. There's a number of other components that make that up. My brain is driven by Alice. And Alice says, Maro Atoje, when I think about his performance against Bath only the other week, yeah, you have him in. And 
Scotty Hill, he's in the games they've romped home, he has been striding all over the park. His line-out's brilliant. And just because he annoyed so many people uh, with a yellow card that shouldn't even have been that, he gets my choice. Johnny Hill, I think, is England's next second one. Let's do our bat rowers. Let's do uh, our flankers together. Should we just say Jack Willis is one of our bat rowers? Yeah. Yeah, and the guy that he that he probably uh, usurped on the on for eighty minutes uh, or for seventy minutes or whatever, Ben Earl as well. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that the day the day we're asked to cast our votes that he was he was so distinctly second best to Jack Willis. But the two players uh, have had an enormous impact on their teams. Uh, both of them have been voted by their peers uh, as nominees for the uh, RPA Players Player of the Year, and. Uh, you know, I mean, surely Bristol will be speaking to Saracens and saying, any chance we can keep him for, for, forever? Because, uh, you know, of all the superstars they've got at that club, the one guy they don't want to let go back up the motorway is, uh, is Ben Earl. I agree with you on, on Ben Earl, but um, I did have Jake Belledry in my team in, in, in his place because every time I've seen him, He's sort of picked up. He's a number eight now, Slotty. Hey, so, so, uh, and that's where his future lies because, uh, you know, there's, there's such a need for a good quality uh, additional number eight in uh, you know English number eight, and uh, and I just think that's where his, his strengths are. Is Jake Pelladri your eight? Well, no, I mean, unfortunately, I can't. You know, I'm. I, I think I'm I have a distant relationship with the um, with the Simmons family at some in some way down the line. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure how, but I'm still championing my my Sam Simmons is good enough to play for okay. England, uh, and so he is without doubt my number eight. I think he scored more tries than most of the bat line put together of other of other clubs. So. Uh, you know, he just does so much on a rugby field in that over 80 minutes. Um, and I always ask people to, you know, judge rugby, particularly back rowers, you judge them on, on, on not how many tackles they make or how many turnovers they, you know, it's what they actually do that affects the outcome of the game. You can all have guys that get through a ton of work and they do all these things, but do they do things that change the outcome of the game? And when you ask me about Sam Simmons, he does things consistently particularly his performance I mean remember his performance away at La Rochelle in the in the opening round of the cup and then you know he's, ta- he's taken these performances all the way wherever he goes Sandy Park he he's the man and uh, if someone someone's got to get a bit a better performance out of Billy Vunapola because and since since he played for New against uh, Leinster in Newcastle I think we've seen a shadow of the player that he was in that game and uh, I was always happy to take criticism when I wasn't playing well but equally uh, you know you, you don't often get dropped and he, he's seriously got to be under pressure. I know he's one of Jones's leaders and his vice captain, but surely he's got to he's got to be left out of the team for a few weeks to get the best out of him. If you're of X fly half, number eights are very important because they get over the gain line and they make your life easy. So you actually and when you're on the floor, they kick you in places they shouldn't. So I know a bit about number eights. And Lawrence's argument about Jake Paledri. Looking for someone to be good enough to play for England. Well, Paledri's good enough to play for England. Alas, he has gone to Italy. Lol said about someone who does things that change games. Paledri, his ball carrying is staggering. The amount of tries he scores or it resulting is incredible. And I'm just closing my eyes as I'm putting Jake Paledri in a WASP team or an Exeter team. And I'm seeing someone who looks all but unstoppable and, and I would have him as my number eight, Owen, with Curry as a seven. Because I think seven's not just about running fast, scoring tries and, and being brilliant and going forward. <clears throat> it's also a defensive thing. And, and I think Curry and Underhill both should play for England because they're so good at that. Which Curry are you referring to? Because Ben Curry's had a better premiership season than Tom. 
Well, just because Steve Diamond says that doesn't mean it's true. I don't think that's true in the slightest. Steve Diamond also said that never would he play play Tom Curry at number eight. (laughs) But he he has done already. So uh, listen, if if we're going to have a special special podcast on everything Steve Diamond said that hasn't happened, then um, we'll be going on for a very long time. Alex, can you settle the uh, the uh, seven and eight debate for us, please? So I had Ben Earl at seven, and I had Sam Simmons at eight. But this is the point that we're making that, that Jack Willis is undoubtedly the, 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 uh, a shoe in there just because of the quality of his performances across the season, both pre and post. Ben Earl, premiership wise, has played outstandingly well all season, so he's at seven. But if we were picking an England team, does he get in ahead of Tom Curry at seven? No, he doesn't. So, so, a, a England so. team for me, if you look at the way that Wasps played it, um, that combination of Thomas Young and Jack Willis the tackler and then the jackler. England can have Sam Underhill making the tackles, Jack Willis straight over the top. And and you've got Tom Curry for me at, at number eight, who's who's kind of a, a versatile athlete who can do do both. I think that Jack Willis has forced his way into the reckoning and does more things in, in, in other sides of his game. I think you've either picked Underhill or Curry and leave put the other one on the bench as far as I'm yeah. concerned. On that bombshell. We'll wrap this up partly because I've got an Amazon delivery guy at the door and also because um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> also because I think we now know who the who the Rucks team of this season is. We've got um, Charles Pietat at 15. We've got uh, Luke Morahan and Josh Bassett on the wings. Our centre combination tends to be a bit uh, Kiwi with uh, Fekitoa and Jimmy Gopper, Joe Simmons and Ben Spencer at half-back, Beno Urbano, Luke Cowan, Dickie, Will Stewart at our front row with Johnny Hill and Mario Itoje in the second row. The back row is uh, Jack Willis ben and Sam Simmons. Thank you very much, gents, for joining us. That was um, another epic uh, episode of The Ruck. And I suspect we'll be back again next week because that seems to be what happens. This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.